Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman joining you again this week. Justin Lewis actually is not going to be with us this week. He has some pretty big commitments on his end. So I am privileged uh, to have a a guest with me uh, to start off today's show, a fellow GBB um, contributor and a man of many, many responsibilities, Mr. Greg Ratliff. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing excellent, Sean. How are you doing? I can't complain at all, man. I know you're on your way home from the Grizzlies game um, where Mike Conley actually uh, reclaimed his spot as the um, all-time leading <laughs> scorer in Grizzlies history. I know that the sounds of the forum tonight were very much very much because of the uh, of the opposing team, but what was the overall reaction? Was it, was it as hopefully magical as folks had hoped it would be when Conley got that distinction again? Oh, it was great, and they, the Grizzlies had a, a video that played during a, the the next timeout after uh, after he uh, went past Gasol, and uh, you saw Mike kind of look up at the jumbotron a couple times to kind of figure out. It, it took him a second, and he he, he kind of figured out what was going on, and then the uh, he, I mean the crowd, even though there was a lot of uh, Warriors blue and yellow in the in the crowd, they uh, everybody kind of stood up, gave him a good standing ovation, and round of applause and Mike kind of acknowledged the crowd a little bit and he was he was very complimentary after the game too he he instantly took it and deflected it all onto his teammates which is <laughs> exactly what you'd expect Mike to do but uh it, it was it was a, a nice moment in the night that uh didn't didn't exactly end up on the good side of things for the Grizzlies but there's there's some good stuff to take out of it as well and uh, but we'll get into the specifics here in a moment. Greg is someone that for for years now has been, um, you know, um, kind of behind the scenes, but does does a lot of good things um, in terms of the Grizzlies and in Memphis. But you know, really just kind of you know encompassing you know the feeling right now, Greg, um, with, with 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 where you are, with 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 how close you are to the action. What's your general feeling uh, of the organization right now? You know, do, is it, my guess is obviously it's better than last year, but what's the general? overall feeling with you know yeah the record overall may not be that great but the Grizzlies have been playing better you know than they have probably over the past two years how's the general feeling of the organization right now from your perspective I think it's definitely a lot more positive than last year because you at least kind of have some direction this year you know that even whether whether Mike stays or goes or you know even before uh, Mark Gasol was traded it you at least kind of have some idea that you're you're going into like a new chapter, uh, and and I don't I don't want to necessarily say rebuilding because I think that that kind of in a way has a negative connotation. You you're, you're just kind of retooling the team, and uh, you've got a lot of young players that you have the rights to next year going into next year. I mean we, we looked at it tonight and uh, counting the uh, the two way contract that uh, Yuta Watanabe is on you've got basically 12 guys already. If everybody comes back, that's counting, you know, if Jonas Valanciunas doesn't opt out and go somewhere else, or if, if they don't uh, buy out a- Avery Bradley's contract this summer, I mean, you've, you've got 12 guys coming back already next year. And it's a lot of young, unproven guys that were, are going to be looking to, and then, uh, most of those guys do, they'll be the last year of their deals too. So your Dylan Brookses of the world and your uh, Ivan Rabs, those kind of guys are really going to have a lot to to prove going into the, the summer of 2020. So it, it's it, I, I think it, it's definitely like you said, a lot more positive this year than last year. 
because we at least know what's kind of going on now. Whether we can actually get to that point where we can get all the draft pick nonsense straightened out, well, we'll that's yet to be determined. But uh, it, I think it's it's definitely a lot more positive than than it has been. You know, Greg, I think one of the more memorable pieces that you have wrote this year was when we were discussing um, the fact that, you know, I think it was maybe back in November, it was at the first of the year, we were talking about, you know, Mark Gasol, you know, uh, filling a roster spot to back him up. And you had mentioned Joe Kim Noah. And now, of course, several months later, we see the impact Noah has had. But not to waste too much time talking about it, but it's just amazing to me that you're right, we have more direction. But the anchor of our roster right now again is in the post of course Jaron and his talent but during the grit and grind era it was Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph and then Zach and then Mark has traded this year and now we've got Jonas who in six weeks has made everybody want to make him a big part of the foreseeable future to pair with Jaron you know we've got our post duo just like we had in the past what are your thoughts of, you know, h- h- kind of how ironic it is that now with Jonas in the picture, you know, do you feel it makes sense to pair them for the future? And, and, and what's your overall feeling of, of how Jonas has uh, played in Memphis and how he feels about Memphis? It, it, it's a great fit for him. Uh, I mean, you even saw he's been playing excellent basketball. I mean, for example, uh, against the Warriors uh, Wednesday night, 14 points in the first quarter (laughs) and he just he seems to have he's like Mark but he's not Mark at the same time if that makes any sense that he's still that big athletic guy down low and he's he's not necessarily the kind of defender that Mark Mark was in his prime but he's he's a different kind of offensive player than than Mark I think he Dare I say he might even, he might be a better down low player than Mark was because he's one of the criticisms that I used to see and hear sometimes, and I kind of bought into a few times along the way, is that Mark wasn't necessarily kind of built for that down low banging in the post type stuff. But Jonas is built for that. Like he, that's that's what he like to, uh, against the Warriors. Him and uh, and Looney and Demarcus Cousins, just getting down there and getting in the in the dirt and the grime and just banging around. And it, Jonas really thrives on that. And I, I think that's the one thing that I, I would give him an edge over Mark is he just his down low play is is a little bit different. And it's just with what the Grizzlies are trying to do, they're not trying to be like Golden State. They're not trying to be like like Houston and all these teams that they're just launching threes and launching threes and launching threes. Like they're still kind of doing that more traditional type of basketball. And, and, and Valanciunas fits into that really, really well, I think. I think we're almost to the point to saying that you're right. When you look at the makeup, the, the, the uh, European uh, background, but it's almost like you've got Mark, when it comes to Valanciunas, you've got Mark's body and you fit in Zach Randolph's mentality in game. I mean, that may be a stretch, but I think it's definitely, um, you know, I think that's a pretty decent comparison. I mean, he kind of reminds you of Zach at times, doesn't he? Yeah, just the, just the way that he's physical with the other the other team's bigs. It just, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's it's not a perfect comparison, but it's it's definitely a it, it makes sense for sure. <laughs> 
So the, the general overall question, kind of as we as we um, the, um, wrap up the, the, the specifically on the Grizzlies, um, you know, the big question is convey or not to convey. And, you know, Joe Molinax wrote an article uh, for Grizzly Bear Blues, you know, kind of separating the two big questions, you know, it's convey or not convey, but it also is truly, you know, well, whatever we do, who's going to be in charge to make the decisions once, you know, lottery night comes, we know which way we're going to go. Where do you stand on the convey, not convey um, uh, question? What 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 do you feel is best for the organization as, as far as that question goes? I would much rather convey this year and hope to and keep, and get that pick next year because I don't think unless something drastic happens this summer, I don't really see the Grizzlies being much better than where they're at right now when it comes to overall record. Now, I mean, they they could surprise everybody and all these young guys figure it out and and make a playoff run. But I, I, I think this time, 365 days from now, you could be looking at a very, very similar record, like around 30, 35 wins. I, I, people thought I was crazy at the beginning of the year. I think I picked the Grizzlies to win 35 games, and they're kind of right in line with that right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think next year it could be the same thing, looking like 30 to 35 wins. It, and keeping that – ultimately, you still want to get into the top four to get a better player. But I, this year, with where you're at, you do have a chance of still getting into the top four, even if you finish right where you're at now. Because I think you finish – if you're at eighth, you get like a 20% chance. And if you're ninth, it's like a 12 or – 15% chance or something, but there's still that possibility you could get into the top four, but I, I I don't see, once you're outside of that top four, I don't know if any of those players are as big enough of a of an impact to make it worth losing your pick next season. I would much rather keep my pick in the summer of 2020 than uh, than keep this year's pick for sure. And you had mentioned earlier, you don't really want to call it rebuilding. You want to call it retooling. I can certainly see that perspective in place. The big reason why I want to convey me and you are on the same page, and I think with a lot of other people, is that I think that it kind of forces the hand of the organization to finally embrace going the route that it needs to go as a small market, mm-hmm. getting the best you can in the draft and getting some controllable talent for the foreseeable future. But obviously the connection between you and me is the Grizzlies. But again, I'm talking with Mr. Greg Ratliff here on the three and D podcast. If you recognize his voice, it's because more than likely, if you <laughs> are a fan of Memphis sports, Greg Ratliff is actually the PA announcer for every other team that's in Memphis. I'm kidding, but no, uh, Greg, <laughs> actually um, Greg. Now you are the PA announcer for the, for the lady Tigers basketball team, the Memphis mm-hmm. Redbird. And 901 FC, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And I actually, I actually did a uh, one men's game last year down at the Forum as well. And maybe even do, end up doing more of those next year too. And who, who knows, I'm, I get asked often about possibly filling in another spot too. So if, if, you're, if you haven't been hearing my voice, you haven't been listening hard enough because I'm, <laughs> I'm all over the city of Memphis right now. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit um, uh, while we got you on the show. And, and, and I'll ask general, then we'll get specific. You know, another reason why I think that right now this year is better than last year is because if you go back 365 days, of course, you know, Tubby coming off another, you know, pretty bad year for the Tigers. And then, of course, the excitement yeah. of Penny coming in. Well, now you've got his recruiting. You know, what through the University of Memphis, how exciting is it right now? And not just the men's team, you know, the women's team as well. You know, is is do you feel that, yeah, the excitement's here now, but do you see signs that it's definitely sustainable and that success on the men's side could eventually lead to success on or continued success on the women's side as well? I I I think that the one worry I would have about the men's program is that is keeping it going. Yeah, you've got this really awesome class coming in for the 1920 season. Is it going to be sustainable going forward? And say you get Wiseman and all these other guys in here, and it doesn't go well. And you have a couple seasons in a row where with Penny recruiting all these these big-name players and – if it doesn't translate into actual success on the court, that's where my worry would be. Now, I we have no evidence to say that that's going to happen, that we're not going to be in another, like, Cubby situation where it's just the team's just not winning games. And But the, the, the one big difference instantly is the recruiting. And it's the same way on the on the women's side, too, is the, the incoming class that, uh, that Coach McFerrin has coming in next year uh, should be pretty good. Um, to go along with uh, the freshman that she had there this year, uh, Jamira Shoots, who she was a, uh, uh, she was the, she she won had all kinds of accolades as a freshman in the AAC, which is saying something considering you know you've got UConn in the AAC and they're just always really good, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but there, there's good things happening for both programs and I think that more time more now than any other time since I've been in Memphis because I've been in Memphis since uh, 2011 and the trajectory of both programs has never really been as high as it is right now and I think it's it's by far in the last for me anyway in the last decade the, the best time to be a to be a Memphis Tiger fan Agreed. And, you know, with the football program being the way that it is, you know, that's that's yeah. a very good point. I think you bring up a, a very good point. You know, the recruiting class is wonderful, but if one injury occurs or something like that, they overall disappoint. You know, what could that have on the future? Um, but one thing that we can say that that definitely is here to stay in the future, and it's right, we're right on the doorstep, baseball starts tomorrow professionally yes. uh, obviously uh, um and and so i know uh that typically the minor league system is a little bit behind but you know just want to kind of touch on the redbirds real quickly now you also besides writing for uh, grizzly bear blues you write for viva Alvertos, which is the if i said that incorrectly forgive me but that is the sb nation uh blog site for the cardinals but yes. obviously with redbirds a few names uh, for the Redbirds that uh, Cardinals fans in general should really be excited about and should look out for as, as the Redbirds uh, defend their uh, championship from last year. I mean, you've, and the, the big thing with, with the Cardinals, too, is that this year so many players that were with the Redbirds last year to help them to that AAA national championship that they won and the back-to-back PCL titles. Uh, a, a vast majority of those guys all ended up with the Cardinals, uh, like Jordan Hicks and uh, John Gant and 
uh, Jack Flaherty, who Flaherty's probably going to be in the rotation this year, who Hicks is probably going to be a back-end reliever, possibly the closer for the Cardinals this year. Um, they've done an amazing job here in Memphis of still being successful with so many of their players going up and down to St. Louis so much. It's really a testament to the front office and to the and the coaching staff is the same way too. Like every manager of the Redbirds in the last eight nine years, they're all up with the Cardinals organization now. So it's it's it really says a lot that with all of this change, they're still finding ways to win. And I can't see how this year is going to be any different. The Cardinals organization is super strong right now. And I think, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because of all my connections to the Redbirds. But I really think that it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could win another PCL title this year. And if they win the PCL championship, the national championship's right here in Memphis this year. So they could actually have home field advantage in the uh, the national championship game. So uh, it could be a very, very exciting uh, summer and early fall for uh, Memphis baseball. And as we wrap up with you, Greg, the crazy thing is, is that Memphis Redbirds baseball, I, I think AutoZone Park is one of the best minor league stadiums in the nation. I think the Redbirds atmosphere is one of the best in the nation. But it's mm-hmm. crazy. I honestly, for the first time in AutoZone Park's history, can say I don't think that the craziest atmosphere at AutoZone Park is when the Redburns play. It's when 901 <laughs> FC now plays. And, you know, as I mentioned, you're also the PA announcer for uh, the uh, the uh, soccer team. By the way, this summer, Greg will be hosting um, free Rosetta Stone sessions. He'll be introducing you to 45 different languages after mentioning all the names that he has to announce <laughs> for the home and away teams, all joking aside. Greg, as we wrap up, just want to get your opinion. Um, it seems like there's a lot of passion. We've seen Bluff City 901. What do you think about the team? Are, are you as excited as others? And just how awesome is the atmosphere at the games? Even it, it's, it's incredible. And it, it you got a, a glimpse of it last summer when they did the uh, the exhibition match there with uh, the Colorado Rapids and the uh, the Tulsa Roughnecks. They came and did that exhibition. You had Tim Howard playing and everything. So people were like, oh, you know, yeah, sure, you drew 9,000 people to that. What is it going to be like when the season actually starts? Well, we had 9,000 people come to the first game. It was a sellout. <laughs> and then we had about 7,200 people come to the second game which wasn't a sellout, but it was still a lot. Right now, 901 FC is in the top five in attendance in all of USL in their first-year team. So for years, people always kind of joked that, oh, well, you know, pro soccer is not going to work in Memphis. People aren't going to go to the games. Yes, we're only two games in, so it might be an overreaction to say this, but it's it's working. And the team is doing good. I mean, they're not – world beaters by any means but the team's doing well they they did lose their first game at home they did they got a draw in the second game at home and got a point then they they won on the road last week uh playing against Bethlehem Steel FC and I mean it's it's an awesome awesome atmosphere anybody that's watched it on TV it's locally on uh, CW30 or if you've got ESPN plus you can see any uh USL game on there it's it's a 
it's so much of a different atmosphere from doing the two different sports there where, you know, I'm, I'm announcing the people coming up the bat during the Redbirds games. And I can hear myself pretty clearly coming back over the PA speakers. During the 901 FC games, I can't hear anything. It's because the, <laughs> the Bluff City Mafia is down there just going nuts and smoke and drums and chanting. And it's just, it. you've got to get down there and check it out. And I, it, again, it's a, it might be a biased thing possibly because I work for them, but it, it's incredible. I, I encourage anybody, whether you're a soccer fan or not, come down and check it out. It's, it's, it's something to see. <laughs> well, Greg, um, it, I definitely agree. I'm going to try to get down there here in the near future myself to be able to check it out. But I will say this, um, if you'll hold on once we're done with this segment, just for a few minutes with me, uh, but I do want to thank you and, and folks, I can tell you in the short time that I've known Greg, you know, it's great the talent that he has both writing and, you know, of course speaking with what he's got, but the man's content as and perspective is top notch as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Ratliff. Again, the voice of the Memphis Lady Tigers, the Memphis Redbirds and 901 FC. If it is a sport going on uh, in any point in time over the year, it's likely Greg um, has some connection with it. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. Uh, just hold on with me and I, um, I will, we'll wrap up here, but um, we'll be right back with you here on the three and D podcast. Again, want to send a big thank you out to Mr. Greg Ratliff for taking the time to uh, uh, spend a few minutes with us talking about the Grizzlies and talking about Memphis sports as a whole. You know, I really want to take a minute to put emphasis on that. Um, you know, this is a city that obviously basketball is first. You know, uh, being a part of Grizzly Bear Blues, you really get to interact with a lot of passionate people about basketball. But you also gain a new appreciation of just how much this city loves basketball. But the thing about it is this, is that basketball is a sport that really is only around for half the year. It's around during the winter months, you know, because it's an inside sport. So for six months, for half the year, you know, the, a city that really, really has a thirst for sports, really thrives when sports teams are good, when its sports teams are good, Memphis has more options now than it has in decades. Despite them, you know, having a rough start, you've got the American Express. They're the envy of an entire league because they've got Johnny Manziel. You've got 901 FC, and this city has embraced soccer. I love seeing the the, the video clips, of the Bluff City Mafia, and the reaction uh, to the players and how well they're embraced. And of course, you've got the Redbirds, who right now are back to back champions. And this year, they potentially could go from being just Pacific um, Division champions to um, national championships. Like Greg mentioned the national championship for minor league baseball, for AAA minor league baseball, is here in Memphis this year. The exposure that, that is there is awesome. And so the reason I bring all this up is because Greg truly does have his fingerprints on a lot of things sports-wise in Memphis. So follow him on Twitter as a really good source of information. But, you know, as he stated, really this summer, for a city that just loves the summer, it seems, they love being outside, love the atmosphere, you know, love just the interaction amongst all the people in Memphis, be able to enjoy sports at the same time. And I think that it really um, embodies, you know, Memphis at its peak when you've got sports and the ability to interact um, all in one um, combination. Getting back to the Grizzlies, uh, me and uh, Greg kind of had focused uh, on this guy, and I want to get to probably what has come the most polarizing question, in my opinion, um, of the Grizzlies' current um, roster and, and going forward. 
Peter Edmonston of The Athletic wrote an article in which he talked about, you know, what the focus with Jonas Valanciunas should be. And really what it comes down to is this. There were some very interesting comments in that article where Jonas pretty much made it clear he is very open to the idea of committing to Memphis long-term because of how Memphis has committed to him. And there is no doubt that Memphis should, right now, commit to Jonas Valanciunas. Jonas Valanciunas is playing at an offensive level that few Hall of Famers have played at since he's been in Memphis on offense. Um, I'm not sure he can sustain it you know, over a season, but basically there's no doubt he truly is showing that he is a very effective offensive player. I could even expand that argument out to say that the level him and Conley are playing at together right now, you may never have seen a duo in Grizzlies history play at the offensive level those two are right now. And there definitely should be an appreciation for it. It certainly has made the Grizzlies more competitive against NBA teams. I mean, we're currently beating playoff teams who have their record because of how good they are on offense. We are out-offensing those teams. But with all that being said, with all the the accolades that you could put on Jonas and the adjectives and how well he's played on offense, I do think that his overall impact on the game is overrated. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that there is some helium to what people perceive Jonas as being versus what he actually is. And what I mean by that is, is that the fact that he is a source a main source of the Grizzlies playing offense at a level that they haven't played in years, maybe even a decade. I think that that basically puts people's perspective of him higher than it actually is. No one's denying he right now is playing like an elite offensive talent. But at the end of the day, what difference is that making, I think, is the real question that needs to be asked is what matters. Yes, it's making us more offensively competent. It's making us a better offensive team. But overall, with this new roster in place, the Grizzlies are still 8-11. and And a big reason why that is is because our defense certainly has taken a step back. Now, that is not something that falls on the front office. The front office, when they made the moves for the guys that they got at the trade deadline, it was to combine them with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson. I think most fans know that Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson are probably more effective on defense than the offense right now, you know, know, as young as they are. So them missing is a big reason why our defense is not as effective. But two games here recently, I think, show the true overall impact that Jonas has on basketball games. Against the Magic and last night against the... um, Golden State Warriors. There were times where Jonas was the clearly the best offensive player on the court, even with Steph and KD and uh, Boogie and the rest of the Warriors. But in those two games, the Grizzlies both gave up a double-digit lead, and they got they gave up a double-digit lead in both games. And a reason why that happened was because of Jonas Valanciunas on the defensive end. Basically, what I'm getting at is is that as great as Jonas was in those two games offensively and on the boards, he just he was as much of a negative on defense. If you watch the Orlando game, at the end of the game, it was great to see Jonas keeping us in the game. But then on the other end, 
the Magic would exploit Jonas by bringing him out from the basket and letting Vucevic or another player get past him towards the goal for baskets. The same thing happened last night against Golden State. It was great seeing um, uh, Jonas be able to dominate Boogie and other defenders at times. But then the Warriors would come down, they would focus on Jonas, pull him away from the basket, and they'd score on him almost every time. As good as Jonas is on offense, if he's turning right around and giving up two points most of the time on defense, the overall impact, the overall net positive value that comes from that is actually low. And it makes sense as to why it's happening. The type of player that Jonas is just is limited in today's game. The NBA continues to go towards a smaller lineup-based mindset that is offensively focused about around shooting and then using this shooting to set up the ability to get to the basket. With that in mind, I think that sheds light on how the Grizzlies should approach Jonas Valanciunas going forward. The way that they should approach Jonas is, first off, starts with whether they convey or not. If the Grizzlies were to not convey this year, in other words, they were to get their draft pick, they need to do all that they can to be competitive next year. I still would explore trading Conley, maybe with a little bit less urgency, but you bring Conley back, you definitely bring Jonas back, you add in Kyle and Jaron, there's a very, very good chance that if you don't convey this year, you convey next year. So it makes sense to, to, to commit to Jonas for a year if we don't convey. But say we do convey, okay? If we do convey, at that point, we don't have a first-round pick this year, but we have our first-round pick for 2020 and beyond. We all know that Memphis is a small market and that it's hard for us to attract talent in here, um, whether it's via trade or free agency. It's just hard to get talent here. So Memphis, to do this rebuild right, if they convey, they have the most clear evidence that right now is the time to start the rebuild. With two very talented drafts coming up in 2020 and 2021, the Grizzlies need to do all they can to get as good of a draft pick as possible in those drafts because it's the best way for them to be able to get significant talent that they can control long-term. So in the end, two of the options that you have are either you keep Jonas next year in order to be competitive and try to convey next year if you don't this year, or you do what you can to make the roster as much future-focused as possible. And if you trade Conley, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to keep Jonas, or to try to keep Jonas long-term. Because the whole way for you to be able to get as good of a pick as possible is to try to focus on the future. I don't want to use the word tank, but you certainly don't want to commit to a player who's going to add wins to your overall record because that's going to wind up just making it harder for you to get a better draft pick. Take convey versus not convey out of the equation. Say that the Grizzlies, whatever happens, they bring back this roster next year. Mike Conley and Jonas are playing at the level of offense that they are right now next year, and Jaron Jackson and Kyle Anderson come back, and their games have expanded. The Grizzlies basically go with this roster in next year, surprise the NBA, and make the playoffs. Congratulations. The overall impact of that is this. You've made the playoffs as a 7 or 8 seed to play a much more significantly talented team in the 1 or 2 seed. And while Jonas probably has a big part in getting you to the playoffs, 
players that have his skill type simply do not make as much of an impact in the playoffs as they do the regular season because the playoffs are not conducive to them being successful. The more they play against smaller lineups in a shorter amount of time with as much as intensity and physicality as the playoffs bring, the less effective they're going to be. So in other words, what I'm getting at is, is that say the Grizzlies commit to Jonas long term and everything works out. They are able to be a playoff team in a shorter time frame than you might expect. You have exceeded all expectations, including him into the future, but yet you can't use him when it matters most. Or it doesn't make sense to use him when it matters most. And I think that's what it comes down to. The Grizzlies cannot make long-term decisions based off right now. Because at the end of the day right now, they still are playing like a lottery team. They have to focus on building the roster to the strengths of Jaron Jackson Jr. And while, yes, Jonas's rebounding and scoring ability arguably does do that, they need to build this roster in a way that catches them up with the NBA. They should still focus on defense. That's where Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson's strengths are. That's where they're more effective right now. But they really need to try to focus on getting offensively capable players on the wing and at the guard position who they can control long-term. So I think what it boils down to is, is that as wonderful of an addition as Jonas is and as wonderful as he has played in his time here, when you really look at the bigger picture, when you really widen your focus as to what the Grizzlies should do going forward and if everything works out, what impact, what role would Jonas have if we were to be competitive sooner than people think, if we were to make the playoffs sooner than people think? And I think that when you look at it from that perspective, when you look at the bigger picture, the bigger that picture gets and the more certainty you have, I think it makes less sense to commit to Jonas long-term. Overall, I think I'll be fine either way. If you keep Jonas and you want to you know, remain competitive, his brand of basketball obviously is fun, and people would embrace it here in Memphis. But I also think that there probably is more negatives that can be pointed out about Jonas staying long-term than positives. If you want to stay competitive and get to 500, keep Jonas. That's great. But that's not the way to do a rebuild, especially in a small market where you struggle to attract talent. The Grizzlies need to really focus on the best way to get young, controllable talent around Jaron as soon as possible. And I see a much clearer and successful path to doing that by not committing to Jonas long-term than I do with him being in the fold long-term. For roster construction purposes, for the Grizzlies to play as effectively as they can in the modern NBA, and for them also to use the allocation of their funds in the best way that they can, I feel it makes more sense not to extend Valanciunas than it does. If you really look at the big picture, the Grizzlies need to focus less on what they know which is trying to build like they have in the past. At the end of the day, over the past decade, the Grizzlies have made one Western Conference Finals. They got swept, and the only reason they honestly got there was because Russell Westbrook got injured. That's what you have to show over the past 10 years. So if you try to build like you did then, you're going to limit your potential. 
and that's not the best route to go with the best natural talent you've ever had in Memphis and Jaron Jackson Jr. So just to sum it all up when it comes to Jonas Valanciunas, I love the way that he plays. I love having him on this team, and I'm not going to sit here and just absolutely hate the idea of him staying around for a few more years. But when you really look at the big picture for the Grizzlies and the way that they should pursue building this roster around Jaron, I think it makes more sense to do it without a long-term commitment to Jonas because as your team becomes more successful, it's likely he's going to have less of an impact by because when you get to playing better teams to try to make the playoffs or when you're in the playoffs, you're going to have to go smaller, more athletic lineups, and that's just not Jonas's game. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to do what is best to make your team be a contender long-term. And I think that their easier path to doing that is without Jonas in the fold long-term than with him in it. I want to thank y'all very much for taking the time to um, listen in today. Um, I know that, uh, again, you know, the camaraderie between me and Justin is, you know, what makes this show fun. Had definitely had some of that with Greg. Justin will be back next week to join us. I look very much forward to having him back as I do getting to talk with y'all again. Um, Thank you so much again for joining us on the 3ND Podcast. Hope you have a great week. Bye-bye.